Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. We're in a spot now where we're competing every day. We're, we're in this fight with the Braves. Everyone knows it. I'm not going to shy away from it. And um, we just we need to get hits in big spots. And I think we need to do that on a consistent basis. And that's kind of what September baseball has to be about and what playoff baseball has to be about. So um, I think we have to relish when we get ourselves in, you know, personally, when we get ourselves in, in an opportunity like that, and and uh, we got to want to have those opportunities and, and do well in those opportunities, and that's what it feels like. I, I was saying on the radio interview earlier, it feels like we've been getting a little bit unlucky, lining out um, a little bit here and there in those situations. Um, so I think it's just a matter of time before the ball kind of starts finding some holes and, and going on, bouncing our way a little bit. We won two uh, series on the road in September. So we're supposed to you know, feel bad about I mean, Sometimes the game will make you feel like you, you got to stay in reality. Just won two series on the road uh, in September. And that's why you don't take heed of the noise. Just keep grinding. Our guys feel like they're not going away. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, September the 11th, 2022. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media and you can show an Apple podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com, and I want to welcome in the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network, as well as RisingApple.com. Well, I have a fun show for you. It seems like just a couple of days ago that we came together, and it was as I came to you on the day off before the Mets went over into the sleepy uh, confines of, uh, well, I don't even know, what is the name of the Marlins Park? Is it Lone Depot Park? I don't I don't even know. I, I used to know all these ballparks and their names like Dodger Stadium I could know. Obviously I know City Field, Yankee Stadium, but like, you know, is it called Enron in uh 
in Houston still? No, I'm joking on that. Anyway, lots to talk about. Uh, I know today is a solemn day, and I'll get off and start. When, a year ago, if you remember, it was the September 11th, uh, cele- not a celebration, but m- memorial of 20 years, and it was the Francisco Lindor three-homer game and the Subway Series and so on and so forth. And we went and looked back at uh, a replay of the 10-year anniversary of uh, 9-11 that I had done on WGBB. This year, a lot different. We're in the midst of a wild division race, and I'm not one of those guys that likes to you know, sit here and lecture you about 9-11. You've seen it. You've heard it. Some of you have lived it way too personally. And other than the component of baseball and 9-11, which is what we did last year, I'm going to leave it in the closet. Really no reason to go out there and rehash it. Uh, there's nothing that I could say that's really going to add anything that hasn't already been said. So uh, I just like to put that out there because sometimes it's weird on a day like this, 21 days later, uh, to just be normal. I mean, and that's probably the right thing to do, at least I believe. But uh, sometimes it 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 doesn't feel right. And, and the more you get down that rabbit hole and try to make some remarks, the more likely that you're going to turn people off. So we'll leave that in the parking lot in the closet. We had our moment last year, and, and we certainly have had an opportunity on this show many times to talk about 9-11 baseball, the involvement of baseball, as well as the Mets in particular. But I do have, let's get a little bit more of a fun note. I do have a fun show, Collapse Perspective, New Rules for 2023. There's some playoff roles now crystallizing. we got to start to think about playoff roles for the Mets, regardless of whether they win the division or not. And I'm hearing, and I haven't heard it firsthand, but I'm hearing some rumblings that people were blaming Timmy Trumpets for the Mets maybe falling out of first place. Is this true? Which only happened for like a minute and a half, but it happened. Oh. About 24 hours. So anyway, a lot of fun, a lot to talk about here. First off, can we get some perspective? This week, the Mets played 666 baseball. They won 67% of their games this week since the very disappointing Nats series. They took two out of three in Pittsburgh, and they took two out of three in Miami. Granted, the two losses were ugly, bad losses. Losses that you could argue Buck Showalter with his bullpen management and his long vision process that we talked about on the last show uh, contributed to those losses. But you sign up for four and six road trips, and you heard Buck and you heard Mark Canna coming in, and the Mets really have what's been so refreshing this year. First, I could close my eyes, and with Buck, it's like you're hearing Pat Riley. I know you guys are sick of hearing me talk about Pat Riley. Like, Mike, shut up about Pat Riley. He is exactly what this team needs. He is exactly the kind of manager this team has needed probably for two decades, probably since Bobby Valentine was unceremoniously let out that door. I mean, think about that. That's how long it's been since they've had a manager that I could sit back and say, this guy gets it. When you hear him talk about just the kind of day-in and day-out perspective in the long game. I mean, you heard Taiwan Walker, if you listen to him in the post-game, talk about, hey, we're just trying to win series. We're not trying to, you know, focus on winning every game or a certain number of games in a row. And and that's really the challenge right now. We talked about it, and, and really what's interesting is this show, or at least this intro, outside of the fact that we'll talk about the rules changes, not much has changed because, yeah, the Braves, the baseball gods always take back. Whatever the baseball gods give, they take back. And I always say to people, especially now, teams are going to win the amount of games they're going to win, whether you're a 60-win team 
or a 100-win team. That's what you're going to win. Now, how you win them, that's where the law of averages and regression and all the other different mathematical type of theories you could put out there come into play because, you know, when it's all said and done, if you're on a hot streak and, like, the Braves win 15 in a row, you're owed a few losses in a row, maybe not many, and the Braves have been so hot, and they've played at this historic 700-plus pace level, 117-plus win level. And, uh, you know, today was a day where, you know, I, you were probably thinking what I was thinking. I'm checking the MLB app here late uh, Sunday night. I see that the Mariners coughed up one, and I'm like, here you go again. The Braves just don't lose. And sure enough, Kenley Jansen, he gives up a couple of home runs, and that's going to be one of the themes of the show, similar to what we talk about with the Dodgers and their bullpen. Uh, there is one other positive, uh, or one of the positives. There's a lot of things that go against the Mets when they play the Braves, but there is a positive, and I'll get to that. So, look, from a division perspective, uh, this is a critical week coming up. You know, everyone's going to want the Mets to run the table. I think if you're really going to uh, win this division and, and and you're seriously going to give yourself at least a little margin of error, you got to take five of the next seven games, preferably six of the next seven games. Nobody's going to get swept here. There's always going to be a stub your toe moment, typically. I mean, these are still professional ball clubs, so it's just critical. What makes me laugh is that that's probably not good enough for a lot of people because, I mean, here it is. We just came off the Mets, as Buck said, a 4-2 and two road trip. And this was probably the most miserable week of the season to be covering this ball club. Now, predictably, I said this, and it happened like 24 hours after I had the the show, that the minute the Mets fall out of first place, watch the reaction. It was pure hysteria. Now, the media was actually pretty good. There was a couple of, hey, glass half full, glass half empty tweets out there trying to bait you into some of that. But the fan base was insufferable. I mean, you're blaming the poor Timmy Trumpets. Here's a guy that doesn't know spit about baseball. Happens to find out happenstance probably through, I think it was through some uh, download data that all of a sudden he's getting all these downloads because Edwin Diaz is using it as his uh, entrance song, this narco song. And everybody's blaming the guy for the Mets falling out of first place. I mean, the fans of the media were about as miserable as they've been all year. And that's a week where they went four and two. I think part of it is, and it happens every year in September, when you get down to the nitty-gritty and you're just like, you're not at that point in the season where you're just letting things develop and play out and play. Even though the Mets are playing the long game, the fans don't want to play the long game anymore. They want to win every game. They're in playoff mode. Uh, Game one has already started of the postseason, and that's in winning this division. The fans really want this division. Now, I don't know if they want this division because they want this division or they want this division because they feel embarrassed by saying at one point the Mets had an 11 or whatever, 12-game, 10-game. I can't remember what the height of their lead was. Sometimes I wonder because to me, yeah, I want the Mets to win the division. But like I said in the prior show, this is about winning the war. And I am not about to sacrifice this, albeit important battle, the division, sacrifice it to win the war. That's why they're cautious. I mean, a team that was not cautious would have not put Max Scherzer on the DL. They wouldn't. I mean, let's 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 put it that way. But the, the talk of a collapse, I mean, a team that's playing you know, 666 baseball this week, they're not collapsing. I mean, come on, let's let's get real. Um right now, 
I think the biggest concern I have with the Mets, and it's not anything to do with the Braves, is really health. And I know it's you're, I'm making you laugh because at the beginning of the season, I said I don't get into predicting health or trying to comment on health because there's nothing you can do about it. And I stand by that. But the only thing you could do is you could hope. And the, to me, the only injury right now that I'm concerned about, it's not Scherzer. And it looks like Guillerme and Trevor May, who who's recovering from COVID, is coming back. Uh, the Mets are going to be pretty much healthy with the exception of Marte. The Marte injury to me is the most concerning. He has this non-displaced fracture. Thank God it wasn't a fracture. His season will be lost unless maybe he'd be make it, make it back deep into the postseason. I still fear that even if he could get himself back in two weeks or 10 days or whatever it may be, that the fact that it's his throwing hand is going to compromise his throwing. It's going to make hitting difficult. I don't know if you're going to see the best version of Marte out there that you could. And that stinks because he was really playing big time. Uh, as we talked about, uh, I think on maybe even the last show, he does so many things well. You could argue that he's the most complete position player on the team on both sides of the ball. Gold glove defense and right. Uh, a total contact guy at the plate with power. They really haven't unleashed him with stolen bases with the new rules, which we'll get to in a bit. I wonder if that changes next year. Maybe he becomes that much more valuable. I have a feeling he hasn't been completely healthy in any aspect of the game this year. But if you look at it historically, here's a guy that typically misses 30, 40 games a year. So it's not uncommon at at that. So, you know, that's where you're at. But when I look at what's going on, putting everything in the blender here, and you got the Braves historic run and Vaughn Grissom and and Michael Harris and you know all the you know Austin Riley who's having an MVP year and these young pitchers and the good bullpen, you know, the bridge, and you start to look at all of this and you say, you know, the Braves still don't have a tough schedule. They're playing basically under five hundred teams combined. I mean, this week really is the toughest stretch for them, even with the fact that they don't have as easy a schedule as the Mets do. They're, they're going to San Francisco, and then they have the Phillies, and then they have the Phillies sandwiching some games with the Nats. And the Nats, you don't know what to expect from the Nats. I mean, they could come out and they could be world beaters like they were against the Mets, and they play pretty well against the Cardinals, or then they could just go back to being the Nats like they were against the Phillies. So you don't know. But putting it all in the blender, seeing how... The Braves appear to be this this freight train that you just can't stop. It's like you, they gave you this ten or twelve pace lead, and you're running, and you're really doing a good job here running this race. But they're just they're just coming at you, and they're relentless, and they push and they push. And as although that that's a a great developmental thing for the 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 team here as they try to to win a championship, there's nothing bad that comes with with competition. It's exhausting. It really is. But when you see what happened today with them blowing a ninth-inning lead, and you start to really dive into the situation. And when you talk about blowing leads, let's talk about the eighth inning. and The Braves have blown games in which they led in the eighth inning or later eight times, four of them the ninth inning, four times. Kenley Jansen's got seven blown saves now. If you compare that to the Mets this year, uh, the Mets have blown... Let's say when the Mets lead after eight innings, they have lost three games and they have not blown a game after the ninth inning. That's a five game swing in the Mets play. And why is that? Well, guess what, guys? I think, you know, putting the what I just said about Marte and how complete he is on both sides of the ball and the 
rum production of Pete Alonso, and he's improved so much at first base. And Lindor, I know that he has been a big polarizing topic. He's like the Mets A-Rod, I think. Maybe not as bad, but he's like the Mets A-Rod because of the contract. But he has played great defense. Uh, he's an energy guy in terms of leadership. And he's had a really good offensive year. When he hits and he plays well, guess what? The Mets are probably going to win. However, the guy that honestly is the reason why the Mets are where they are is Edwin Diaz. And it's crazy. Edwin Diaz actually pitches better at City Field than he does on the road. Who would have thunk that after how bad he was treated or how horrible the season he had in 2019 and how angry Mets fans were with him? But here's a guy striking out 17 per nine innings. His walk rate's below three. He's only, you know, he's blown about three saves. That's it. None of them have resulted in the Mets losing a ball game, a 1.50 ERA. And at this point, I mean, unless Josh Hader is going to all of a sudden, you know, space jams wise, looks like the the aliens took his his mojo. I think he's improved a little bit over the last couple of outings, but something's up with him. Uh, unless something goes on where Josh Hader rediscovers himself, this is the best closer in baseball. The Mets have the ultimate weapon that you want in a postseason series and the ultimate weapon down the stretch where if the Mets and the Braves are in a one-run game in the ninth inning and they're ahead and they bring their closers in and you want to say, yeah, got to pick one closer, who are you going to trust? It's going to be Edwin Diaz, and that is an advantage. Edwin Diaz, unless something drastically changes, and look, you want to blame Timmy Trumpets for mushing the Mets this week? You want to blame me if something if he goes out and blows a save on this homestand? You could just take this recording and you could blame me. But right now, the thing that you, you should feel good about, that really should make you feel, whatever the Braves do, that, that the Mets have, that nobody else has, is that Edwin Diaz and the Mets in the ninth inning are automatic. Now, that stat could scare the bejesus out of anybody because... You know what goes on. Every time you see it, now admit it to yourself. I know what you're thinking. Anytime they put it up on SNY or Gary Cohen says it or Darling says it or Keith says it, it's usually Cohen that does that kind of commentary. You're saying to yourself, please be quiet. You probably don't even know that stat because you probably don't want to look at it. You're probably putting your, you well, you don't know I'm saying this, but you're putting your hands over here and say, Mike, stop, stop. But it's there and it's real. And guess what? It's an advantage, and that is why you still have to be very bullish on this Mets team that is now a game up in the loss column, a game and a half up overall. The Braves have to you know, win that extra game in order to you know, make up that ground, so a little bit more pressure on them there. And if this team is going to win the division, and I am going to stand by what I did. I did Mets math the other day, and they're gonna, I'm pretty confident that they're going to win 100 games. Really, I mean— Sure, even if Marte doesn't take another swing the rest of the regular season, I think the Mets are going to win 100 games. I think it's going to make things tougher, especially when they play the Braves. And down in the nitty-gritty, I think you lose a lot with Marte not being out there. Um, and thankfully, they got went out and acquired Naquin. Imagine if they didn't acquire Naquin with the depth in the outfield. And that was where Billy Epper, when I saw that deal, I was like, what? You know, it was a very prescient deal by Billy Epler out there. Um you know, the Mets are going to win 100 games, but they're going to need another two or three to win this division. I cannot see a scenario, even with the schedule being what it is, where the Braves are going to uh, win less than 100 games. Because, I mean, look, right now, uh, let's look at most optimistic scenario. Uh, the Giants beat them twice, right? 
So that's uh, so right now. Let's just take a quick look, real quick here. The Braves have 87 wins. Let's say the Giants with a series, they get one from the Giants. That's 88. They'll take two out of three from the Phillies. That'll put them at 90. They're going to sweep the Nats at home. That'll put them at 93. There's no indication the Nats will win a game there, right? Uh, they'll go to Philadelphia. Let's say the Phillies split with them in Philadelphia. Okay, that puts them at 95. So that's 80, 88, 90, 93, 95 coming out of the uh, the weekend of the 25th out of Philadelphia. Let's say the Nats win one in D.C. That's 97. I'm going to skip the Mets series for a minute. Okay, and then let's say they, I mean, the Marlins with one foot on the plane in Miami. I mean, maybe they get a good pitching performance. I just see that as fait accompli. I see the Braves blowing past Miami. That's, those guys are going to be looking at their watches and getting ready for their offseason. That's 100. So what does it come down to? What does this all mean? That series in Atlanta is going to be huge. And whoever wins that series probably is going to win the division. I mean, this is not, I'm not Nostradamus here, guys. This is not hard. I just did the math for you. I mean, now that math has really crystallized. Now, is that what I want it to be? And it will be interesting as you get to that. There is a little margin of error because you have games to play after that. It's not the last weekend of the season. But that's where this gets, you know, how far do you push to win that division? There is a huge advantage of not playing those three games. But if you don't line your pitching for those three games up, there's almost a way where they have to look and say, can we give ourselves a cushion if something bad happens where we don't lose Scherzer, DeGrom as the number one, number two starters in a three-game series? It's critically important every series to have those guys, one and two. It's even that much more in a three-game set where you could only lose one game. So that's really what it's going to come down. It's amazing. Everything in this game, all what we talk about, all that we go through, through six months. I mean, if the Mets play deep into the postseason, hypothetically into late into the World Series, it's going to be past Halloween. We've been talking about the 2022 baseball season since St. Patty's Day, since the lockout ended. Think about all the things that have gone on. There's been Fourth of July, Easter, Memorial Day, spring, summer. It'll be into fall. We'll be staring down the barrel. Thanksgiving will be three weeks away. I mean, that's crazy when you think about it. I mean, that's why this thing hurts so much when your team loses and I think that's why you have so much pressure. It's crazy. But it all comes down, and it will all come down. And I know everybody, myself included, was hoping that the Mets could avoid this because it, even though it's a great primer for the postseason, it's a great test for this team as a, uh, from a postseason perspective, it's not necessarily where you want it to be. You want it to be tuning up for the playoffs. You want to be get ready. Best laid plans don't always happen. And guess what? Sometimes the team that gets tested, the team that goes through adversity, the team that doesn't have that traditional path, the blueprint, so to speak, is the one that is best prepared and battle-tested for the, for the playoffs. You know, I, I always worry that as you – and I wor- there's one of the worries I had is the two, 2015 Mets kind of didn't play great that last week after they clinched early in uh, 2015 – do you get soft and do you lose your edge? Now, that team didn't. They, they, they wound up ramping it back up. But that is always a concern. And you hope that, you know, you could take from all this, that's one solace you take. This is a tough team. Every time you want to see them 
fade into the abyss or somehow show you that they're fraudulent. They go out and they do what they got to do. I know what you were thinking in the second inning yesterday. They're down one nothing to the Marin, uh, the Marins, the Marlins, and you're like, here we go. This is going to be a – and look, they were facing a decent pitcher in Lopez. I know he struggled in the second half. Lizardo is a, is a lefty that is all over the place, but he's got good stuff. And it's a sleepy ballpark. It was City Field South. They get it, but still. And you were just waiting for this thing to go bad, and it didn't. Just like you were waiting for that Pittsburgh series to go bad, and it didn't. Now they come home. And now they face a Cubs team that has a couple of decent starters, not so much offense, no Wilson Contreras. And also, before I take a break and get into the whole rules thing, because I want to talk about that. If the Mets don't win the division, you'll hear some talk about how Billy Epler dropped the ball at the deadline. The only deal that I can tell you that really stung was the fact that the Mets didn't land David Robertson, who's actually been good with the Phillies, but not as good as he was with the Cubs. And the Mets beat him. He was overworked when they beat him, but they beat him. And Wilson Contreras, who would have been nice to have as a bat, who now has an injury to his ankle, who's out. Trey Mancini hasn't hit. Uh, J.D. Martinez actually has started to hit in September, but he hasn't hit much for months. Uh, Josh Bell went over to San Diego and hasn't been hitting. I haven't checked his numbers last week or so, but he went through a bad stretch there. So it goes to show you, no matter what you try to do at the deadline, when guys change teams at that point in the season, you just don't know. I heard everyone, oh, how could the Mets not get Trey Mancini and give up a top prospect? Well, I mean, he's got an OPS under 700. That's Vogelback's been better than that. I mean, you could get Darren Ruff to do that. I mean, Mark Vientos, he's up 0 for 4 today, hit a couple balls well. He could do that. You don't need Trey Mancini to give up a top prospect for that. So anyway, something interesting. But that's really the stat. The stat that you want to know is Mets have Diaz. The Braves don't. The Mets blow don't blow leads in the ninth. The Braves do. And the Braves have blown five more games late and close than the Mets. And that, my friends, is where nobody's talking about the difference in the division. That could be what turns out to be the difference. That's a huge five games that you lead. In the eighth inning or later, the difference, five games, that's huge. Usually it's the other way around. It's usually us sitting here saying, ah, the Mets, just if they could have only won half those games. It's the Braves you're talking about that are faced with that. So anyway, let's take a quick break. When I return, new rules. Do I like them? You know me. I get curmudgeonly when they play with the game. We may be at, it appears we're at, the neutral zone trap, hand-checking point in the MLB history And I'm going to surprise you about my reaction to the rules because you probably think I'm going to hate them. But I'm going to surprise you with my response and more right after this. Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey, Mets fans, this is a home run. 
I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. So, Harp, I'll start with you. Are you happy to see the rule change? Uh, I love it, Maria. I've, I've been talking about this banning the shift for years now. I think it's really crucial for the good of the sport. It actually may not be great for the Mets because they have a couple guys who actually go against the shift in McNeil and uh, Nimmo. But for the, for the good of the game, I mean, you, you take that guy out of right field and put him back at second base, put the infielders on the dirt, and you open up that, those holes in right field, and it just kills left-handed hitters. I think it'll, it'll uh, prioritize hitters for, to him to hit the ball, put the ball in play again, hit line drives, stop trying to hit everything over the fence. You won't have as many strikeouts. There's more action in the game, more balls in play, and maybe more stolen bases, things like that. And so I, I just think it's great for the game. And then that, the pitch clock, to me, to me seems obvious. Mm-hmm. You just increase the pace of the play. Everybody who's seen it in the minor leagues says it's been great for baseball. So I love, I love what they're doing. John Harper over on SNY giving his thoughts. And look, it's almost unanimous in the media where you have not heard anybody complain about the rules changes. Look, let's face it. The pitch clock and the thought of games, which apparently are down like 35 minutes in the minor leagues, getting back to two and a half hour games. Why wouldn't the media like that? It's like if your boss went to you tomorrow and said, I'm going to pay you the same amount of money, but I'm going to shave off 30 minutes a day uh, of you having to work. You go home early. You're going to say no? You're not going to like it? So, of course, they're going to like it. Um, you know, here's where I'm at. Uh, you know me. I- I'm kind of a chameleon when it comes to progress in baseball. I-, I like the game and the fundamentals of the game. I don't want to turn into an arena baseball. And I think in some cases, the NBA... Specifically, the NBA and the NFL have really moved towards what both arena football and the ABA were trying to sell their leagues about, offense and gimmicks, and made it mainstream in their sport. It clearly works because those two leagues, from a growth perspective, are growing far faster. I mean, the NFL is a monster. No one's ever going to touch it. Not any time in our lifetime, at least. You know, Maybe your grandkids' lifetimes. I, I doubt it, but... So it clearly works. You know, the NHL had their issues with scoring and and they made some changes, but I don't really think the NHL is significantly more of an offensive league than it was or wasn't 25, 30 years ago. The NBA and the NFL are much different ball games than if you watch them from the early 90s. I mean, that's that's fact. Anybody who was around who has watched the games know it. Baseball's different, but they feel in a bad way. And you know, you can blame analytics, you could, you know, blame the fact that a lot of people who grew up reading Bill James and essentially said, hey, challenge the, the fact that all these things, shifts, velocity, all, I mean, it took athletes and them being trained to get to that point, but all the things that are launch angle that are causing problems, so to speak, in, in baseball were always there. I mean, you could always shift. There was never a rule against it. You just nobody thought of it because it looked goofy. It's like, what are you doing? And the theory was hit the ball the other way. And 
by and large, even with that, I'd love to see and see. You really don't have any kind of stat cast data where you could go back to 1984 or 85 and say, you know what? Lou Whitaker, where was his spray chart? Alan Trammell, where was his spray chart? Vince Coleman, where was his spray chart? Because I bet you a lot of those guys, even with the defense being where it is, and sure, players shaded, you know, and you're going to still see them with the ban on shifts now shading it uh, a little bit. Uh, I'm sure that there was similar type of trends. So my point here is when I look at the rules, and if you, if you don't know them, you've probably been living under a rock, but here's the new rules. The shifts are gone. There's a pitch timer now, both for the batter and the pitcher. Basically, you're going to try to get this action going up between 15 and 20 seconds. And um, the bigger bases, the what is it, three or four inches, that one's a little peculiar. I guess they're trying to generate more infield hits or encourage more base stealing. I'm not sure how that one's really going to do. Funny is, from what I saw, the data they collected with over 1,000 minor league games, the scoring really didn't change. Now, you could get to an end result, and it could look prettier, and if that's what you want, so be it. But uh, mainly, I'm going to say this. I have no problem with them having a pitch clock, and and players are going to have to adjust. I'm curious how that's going to work because you're going to start calling balls and strikes, phantom balls and strikes, and there's going to be a point in time where there's going to be some gray area where the guy's going to say, hey, that, you know, there's a baseball on the field or, you know, something happened. There's, there's going to be a time where there's going to be a gray area to this and how strict will the umpires be? What I believe you're going to see is similar to the NBA or any league that starts to enforce or crack down on some kind of rule that they implement, you're going to see a lot of crackdowns early, and you're going to see some weird stuff early. Actually, baseball did this. If you want to go back in history, look it up. In 1988, they tried to clean up, I guess, the pickoff moves, and they tried to get the balk rule uh, enforced. And I think there was the most balks called that year in the history of baseball. It caused a lot of controversy. I remember early in the year, it was driving everybody crazy. There were balks all over the place. And then it just went away. It's almost like the players adjusted or adapted, or maybe the umpires stopped, stopped calling it. I'd have to dive deeper into that. But I specifically remember in 1988, and uh, if you look at the bulk numbers that year, they skyrocketed, and then it just it went away. So players are a creature habit. They will adapt and adjust, but it will be quite interesting, even with spring training. I think the WBC is next year, so they'll have some time to, to practice there. I think you're going to see some weird stuff in April and maybe May before things normalize. You may see somebody get frazzled and blow a game because they got a ball called on them with the bases loaded and a 3-2 count. I mean, it could happen because they, they took too long or they rush and they get out of rhythm. So it's going to be a big adjustment, I think, for both sides. But, I mean, who's going to argue with, hey, get in the box? I mean, part of it is I think everybody has gotten so uh, – I'm trying to think of the right word here, but they 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 they're so deep thinking about every at bat and pitch, and I know that that's the margins that that make a difference. But at some point, just get up there and hit the baseball. Get up there and throw the baseball. There is so much repetition in this game. There's so much data in practice, and 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 I mean Keith Hernandez talks about it all the time. They spend so much time at the ballpark that at some point you've got to trust your muscle memory and your instincts, and maybe that will make for. Uh, better play. Some of the best players in the NBA, the NFL, any of these leagues, when they make 
great plays or do great things on the field. It's athletic instinct. It has nothing to do with them calculating a probability in their head. The shifts, I watched baseball growing up. I didn't know a shift if it hit me in the face. I know they used to shift Ted Williams. I don't see why this is a problem. Uh, it's probably going to increase the offense. I mean, shifts really what got bananas the last, what would you say, last 10 years? Maybe even less. I mean, it's crazy the last five. But even if you go back to like the 2015 postseason, um, I don't think there was a hell of a lot of shifting going on. You know, I mean, this third baseman on one side. I mean, personally, I could see where it gets crazy. I mean, you could still shade people over. I mean, you have a guy like Lindor up the middle, a guy who has been vocal last year, not liking the shift. He's going to get to balls up the middle. Maybe instead of it being right there in front of him, he's got to be a little bit more athletic and like move a little bit laterally. But to me, that's not a problem. The larger base, uh, I'm agnostic on. I think it's stupid. I don't think that's going to change much. Will it encourage more base stealing? I mean, Joel Sherman wrote a good article and you know basically said, do you value now guys who uh, do certain things, guys who pick off or hold runners like a Taiwan Walker, guys who have speed in their game like a Starling Marte? Uh, do Terrence Gores and Billy Hamilton's, you know, these pinch runner extraordinaires with the DH in both leagues, do they become more of a thing? I mean, you can't, you know, do you carry a roster spot with these kind of guys so that you, especially if they keep the ghost runner in extra innings, you know, do you do that? It was interesting listening to the Wayne Randazzo. It was either it was Howie. I don't think it was even Wayne Randazzo. I think Wayne Randazzo was away on assignment. I think it was Howie Rose was interviewing Buck prior to the game on Friday. And he said, you know, they're still trying to wrap their arms around the rules, but he doesn't like the uh, three batter rule. I mean, that's interesting. Out of all the things, he doesn't like the three batter rule. Now, the ghost runner in extra innings, I know a lot of people want to get rid of it. And I could see the traditionalist saying, look, you've already now played with the game. You've, you've enforced or legislated on the field action in a way that baseball has never done, unless you want to talk about lowering the mound in 1968. They've never really changed the game. The players have changed. The style of plays and philosophies have changed. Now baseball, similar to the NBA, the NFL, and the NHL, said we're at our hand check moment. We're at our neutral zone trap moment, and we have to do something about it. Those leagues survive. NFL with roughing, you know, the the uh, pass interference. I mean, you could can't even breathe on a receiver these days. And if you do, that's a pass interference. I mean, it's it's like Madden football. They want entertainment. And I think players will adapt and adjust. I do think as you build your team, if and I don't know how the four inches are really going to encourage. I mean, a guy like Brandon Nimmo who basically said today, I'm trying to keep my body from getting banged up. I mean, stealing bases and doing it all out. I know you say, well, you're just running 90 feet and then you stop. It, it There's a lot to it. There's a lot of... Nuance to it, you got to read pick off. Uh, you got to read pickoff throws. It's not just about speed; it's about getting a good jump. Uh, you know, you get into those collisions. You know, it does potentially lead to you twisting and turning and, and hurting yourself. Something that Nimmo doesn't want to do, especially with herniated discs in the neck. But I don't know if that's necessarily going to change players because you have a generation of players that have grown up not really valuing the stolen base. Listen to what Nimmo said. I got guys behind me that could drive me in from first. Why do I need to get to second? I could score from first. He basically told you 
the value of the stolen base, even with the extra four inches, I don't think that's going to change. Does it make sense for me because I have guys that could drive me in? That's an analytics answer. That's not going to change over three, four inches of the base. You know, maybe you get some more infield hits, guys like McNeil, Trey Turner, things like that. But what I think is good, and and I I will tell you, I've always been an up-the-middle defense guy. It will bring value back to up-the-middle defense. You're not going to be able to live with a Wilmer Flores playing shortstop like the Mets did. I've always been about a catch-and-throw catcher. You better have one if this extra four inches, three inches, whatever, uh, on the base, you better have one because if you don't, you're going to ha- be giving up doubles a lot. It's going to be like the old Noah Syndergaard when he pitched. It. You know, If you get got to give up a runner on first, he was going to be on second. Now he struck everybody else out, but you know now it'll be a little bit trickier too. Uh this is the you know the shift thing. It just it's going to look like the game that I watched growing up. The only difference is I'm going to be knowledgeable that they can't do something that they've been doing, and that's different because when I was growing up, they just did it because nobody thought to do it the other way. The pitch clock to me is just uh, something that will make the game quicker and better. I mean, I think a two and a half hour baseball game is more than enough, three hours max, uh, and that should be the anomaly. The bad part is, is that you have to legislate it, that it doesn't happen organically. And that somebody will lose a game because a pitch or a strike will be called because they're not in the box. I want to see, and I guarantee it'll be Angel Hernandez who blew another call today. I want to see who the first umpire is to have the cojones. I could say cojones on a family show, right? Well, if you're Spanish, I might offend you. To make that call. Bases loaded, 3-2 count. It's like on the border of the seconds ticking off. Is it going to be like the 24-second? Is something going to go off like the 24-second clock go, and the light's going to flash and the umpire's going to say, time, ball four, game's over? It'll be Angel Hernandez. I want to see that. Or are they going to like be fair with it? And as long as the games are trending in the right direction, they probably have a number in their head. I bet you 230, 245 is where they want to be when it comes to uh, time of game. And say, all right, we're where we need to get unless it's overtly a violation. That's going to be interesting. And I don't think it looks like you can't challenge any of this stuff, which is good because they'll be sitting there all night. So if I had to decide, is there any rules now going forward? You know, I've been against the ghost runner and I didn't really like the three batter rule. I agree with Buck. I'd like them to get rid of the three batter rule. It would also bring back the loogie, which I know that that's what they're trying to prevent that. They're trying to make it where it's still harder to pitch where you can't just bring in a lefty to get out of Kyle Schwarber. But I was always a – it was it was a job. It was a position that as someone who's left-handed, it was always fun, you know? Um, I'm actually at this point, keep the ghost runner. I think extra innings – if you really want to talk about the one rule that has achieved the modern era entertainment drama offensive value, the ghost runner is the one rule that I hated and I complained about. That has actually achieved everything that baseball's trying to achieve with these changes. And it's a simple thing. I wish they'd give the home team one extra inning to win it, because I feel like the visitors have that advantage because they could jump ahead. But you still gotta get them out and they get their runner in the bottom half. So I'm surrendering, guys. I know you you figured I'd sit here and rail about it. I'm surrendering because I know that. The growth of the game is predicated on entertainment. I know that there are not enough hard baseball fans like me and all of you who are listening out there in the audience 
to grow and be around to do shows like this 30, 40 years from now. And every other league has done it, and they've survived. Now, now the NBA is getting to in-season cup tournaments. They want to be like European soccer. I think this stuff can get crazy. And sometimes when you get too out of the box, and that's what happens when you start to get over that, what is that called, the Overton circle of baseball, you might start seeing real wacky stuff. Like, you know, WBC in season, let's stop, shut down for two weeks, some kind of nonsense like that. But um, you know what? I wish I could say that the game was just going to stay the way it was when I started watching in the 80s and they make no changes. That's just not realistic. It's not possible for a variety of reasons. Information is power. That power has led to teams being able to manipulate the game in a way that has hurt the product. Uh, I still love the game. Uh, it doesn't bother me, the product. I've adapted and adjusted. Do I think the product has been better in other seasons? Uh, yeah. Uh, I do think that not having the pitcher hit has helped the product in the National League. And I still think that some of this stuff, you know, I, I hear Harper say, well, the Mets have a couple of guys that hit the other way. It's going to hurt them. You hit the ball into the in between the shortstop and third base, you're going to hit the ball between the shortstop and third baseman. And you could still hit the other way. You could hit a line drive. You just hit a ground ball. I mean, Jeff McNeil will adapt and adjust. You know, you're always going to, they're still going to be able to shade guys over. You're still going to see shifting. It's just not going to be with a third baseman on one side. It's usually, it's, it's really, it comes down to, it never, it was really more about for the left hand that hit the third baseman going to the other side. Very rarely do you see, now you do see that whole, they shift the other way where you have the third, uh, the second baseman's all the way over, maybe at shortstop, but not as common as the other way. So, got no problems with the rules. And it's funny, I'm, I'm telling you now, Keep it. If you told me to get rid of one, I agree with Buck. Get rid of the three batter rule. That kind of bothered me a little bit. I thought that was a road too far. It used to be the ghost runner used to bother me. I've become a fan of it. Leave it in there. It adds a lot of drama and excitement. And if you're already gone that route with all these rules with bigger bases, how can you take away the ghost runner and, and implement bigger bases? Are you gonna? And the other thing, are they gonna have those like? It's gonna be like the NBA and the NFL where you have the chalk lines now about the shift. Oh, and they got to keep both feet on the dirt. I don't think that's a big deal. Hey, you got to let them stay as far back as possible. Some of these balls are coming at them 115 miles an hour. Part of why they're out there in the outfield is they're afraid of getting killed from a line drive. So, all right, that's my feeling on the new rules. New rules 2023. I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about. But mark my words, I'm making this prediction right now, September 11, 2022. We will have a time next year, and I promise you it's going to happen. And you know the Mets are going to be involved somehow, one way or the other. Good or bad. Game's going to be decided because of it. It's going to be a very gray area call. It's going to be a, a, a call to prove a point, And it's going to tick a bunch of people off. And everybody's going to call for the end of all this. Mark my words. You heard it here right now. It's going to happen. All right. Let's take a quick break. Wrap up. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon and enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. Final 
thoughts, uh, talking about podcast. I don't really have much else to add. This is one of those outros where I'm like, maybe I should just say goodbye. I mean, I think we talked about a ton of it. You know, one thing on the way out I was thinking about when we just took the break that I'm wondering, I'm looking at Eduardo Escobar's resurgence, and and I know everybody's talking about it. I mean, think about if we get if the Mets get Marte back healthy with that finger. And Escobar is now trending to being the Escobar that you thought you were getting when you signed him. He was always a streaky player. But don't you think maybe his oblique was bothering him a lot more than he let on and he needed that DL stint? I know that, hey, you're out on the field, you're healthy, you should play. And, you know, you can't complain about injuries when you're out there. Because if you're not, if you're injured, don't play. Escobar is a veteran that wants to be out there. But maybe that DL stint was... Well, it's IL. I'm saying DL. See there? I'm making mistakes. It's like I'll probably still be calling the Cleveland Guardians the Cleveland Indians for five years before I get used to it. Maybe they needed that. Maybe he needed that rest sooner than you thought. I mean, just because they're not talking about injuries doesn't mean they're not injured. I mean, you guys know that. But, uh, you know, when you look at that and, uh, you know, it'll be interesting with Vientos if he could get hot. You know, the Braves have Vaughn Grissom and Michael Harris. They've been able to bring up some of these young guys that have pretty much saved their season. I mean, if they don't have Michael Harris and Vaughn Grissom, maybe they went out and they'd get veterans to plug in their place. I have a hard time believing they'd be as close as they are. Uh, the Mets could use some of that because you know, right now Darren Ruff, uh, you know, a guy that we were trying to rationalize when that deal was made as, hey, he's going to be the right-handed Vogelback. Well, there's a reason why these guys are scrap heap guys. They have limitations when they get exposed day in and day out. They're not everyday players. They're component players. They're guys who are platoon players. And uh, Ruff has, you know, been very disappointing. At least Vogelback and Naquin, I think, have given you exactly what you could expect for who they were when they came in. But really, I mean, think about it. I said this, and I'll leave you guys with this because I think it's really important. Um, Nothing that happened at the deadline is the reason why the Mets will or will not win the division. It really comes down to they're the same team as they were before. They're winning at the same rate. Can they, I mean, Lindor said it in, I think, a negative way. Can they lose less than the Braves do? I would say, can we win more than the Braves do? I think that was a bad way of putting it. Um, And it really is going to come down to the ninth inning. And the Mets have a lights-out guy, and I know you're cringing as I say it, and the Braves quite simply do not. And neither do the Dodgers with Craig Kimbrell. And neither do the Phillies. Well, Sir Anthony Dominguez, I think, is pretty tough. Uh, I think that guy is going to be their closer, to tell you the truth. I mean, you know, Robertson, well, he and Robertson. I wouldn't say Robertson's lights out, though, even though I want him. You want him at a setup guy. St. Louis has a pretty good guy. And a lot of times when you start to get into these postseason series, the team with the best closer and the best bullpen is probably the team that's going to have the best shot at winning. And the Mets, for all the complaints about their bullpen— I know Lugo gave it up today, but Lugo, Adovino, Diaz have been pretty good. And uh, if you could get May in that mix and Givens could do your sixth inning work specifically with his little, like, you know, Frisbee uh, slider thing going on there, you have something going on uh, over there. It's not the – I still would love to have David Roberts in his bullpen, but nothing that happened at the deadline is why the Mets won't win this division. It's just simply going to be that the Braves just don't lose – and playing, you know, 620, 630, 640 ball when the other team on the other side is playing 700 plus is just not going to get it done. And it's just not realistic to win seven or eight out of every 10, even against inferior competition. These are big league clubs. They, they don't play 200 baseball throughout the whole season, 
Even the 62 Mets didn't play 200 baseball throughout the entire 1962 season. So anyway, I'll leave you guys all with this. Hope you enjoyed this edition of the Talking Mets podcast. We're going to be back on the regular Sunday edition now. I think we kind of got the weirdness of the holidays and the schedule out there. So I appreciate you guys tuning in for this uh, normal weekly edition of the Talking Mets podcast. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday evening. Week one of the NFL season. Maybe your fantasy football team's uh, having some fun ending to their game. Maybe playing a place in a bet or doing a tailgate or having a party. Whatever it is, enjoy it. We'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast next week. Until then, take care, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.